Good morning, Restoration. Hold on, let me do the Dan thing here. This down. <laughs> Bring this. Don't want. All right, we'll get there. Hello. <laughs> My name is Zach Carrera. I am one of the pastors here at Restoration, and it's great to see you all this morning. I love seeing a bit of a more full room as well, and welcome online if you are here with us online too. Um, if you've been with us at all the past couple weeks, you would know that during Lent, we are going through this series called The Questions of Jesus. And so we're looking at eight questions that Jesus asked to his disciples, to skeptics, to Jewish leaders. And that's because there are these pointed questions that would reveal something fundamental, something that would get to the heart. And so if you saw in our first week, we looked at, do you not yet understand these parables? Last week we saw, do, who do you say that I am? When he was speaking that to the disciples. Now today we're gonna look at this question, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? So let's pray to God uh, for God's presence before we get into his word here. Lord, uh, thank you that you communicate to us, that we have the Bible, that we have this book that we can come to, not just for facts or history, but God, that it is your word, living and active, that you work through it with your spirit. And we pray that you would do that today as we come to study your word and to see what you've done for us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So why are you so afraid? This makes me think, you know, as, as the next-gen pastor, I love to try and think of stories that kids might relate to. So I see a lot of young kids here. Have any of you all gone to swimming lessons recently or have memories of swimming lessons? No, swimming lessons? Maybe not yet. Okay, what am I? Okay, got some older kids. With, okay, you guys remember those days. All right, good days, maybe. Um, well, I remember when I was four, I, would go, I went to the swimming lesson. It's one of my earliest memories. I think I had failed the first couple, but it's really imperative being from Florida that you learn how to swim because there's either a lake, a pond, a pool, or a beach nearby. So if you don't swim, it's not you know good news. But it's scary, right? It takes a while, and even though you're, or for me it was my mom and the swim instructor were there, uh, I had arm floaties on, but eventually you gotta take them off. You do start to sink, and you're just hoping that these strokes that they tell you to do start working. But you know, my mom is there, and she doesn't ask the question in the way that Jesus does of why are you so afraid, but she kind of does make the statement that gets at that of, you don't have to be afraid. I'm right here. The swim instructor's right here. We're not gonna let anything terrible happen to you. Now, it's hard to live that out, and I still had scary moments, but we're going to see a little bit of that today when we see that the disciples are in this circumstance. Actually, Brian, I feel like you like read my sermon a little bit before your prayer. We're in the midst of this circumstance where they're fear, freaking out, right? They have fear. They're faint-hearted, but someone is close to them that cares for them, and as we'll see, it's not just anyone, but the Creator God Himself. And so we can trust in the care of our Creator because he's with us in the midst of our circumstances. We can trust in the care of our creator because he's with us in the midst of our circumstances. So it's a short six or seven verses here. We're going to break it up into three ways. Look with me first in verses 35 through 38. So 35 and 36 are transition. He was just teaching on the parables. So that's just saying we're in the same boat. It's the same day. It's the evening time of that night. Jesus is like, hey, we should go across to the side. Disciples are like, cool and they start going. That's the first two verses. But then we get to verse 37 and 38, and I'm just going to reread that for us. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. 
But he was asleep in the stern, or he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the boat's flooding. There's a big storm. And a little bit of context. So this is a surprise storm, right? It came out of nowhere. And on the one hand, it's not totally a surprise. So we're going to kind of differentiate this a little bit. The Sea of Galilee, geographical context, 700 feet below sea level. There's lots of hills and mountains. I don't understand the science behind it. But apparently these storms happen. And they're pretty quick. And we actually see that in Mark 6. If you were to go to a couple more chapters, Jesus is praying on the mountain. He sees there's a great windstorm. The disciples can't row, so he walks in the water and saves them. So these storms would happen. Now, in Mark 6, it was just a windstorm. The boat wasn't flooding. But here, one of the big differences is that the waves were huge. The boat is flooding, and the disciples are freaking out. Another interesting thing, if you guys have read some more of the Bible or have grown up in the church, you might remember that at least four of Jesus' disciples are professional fishermen who've grown up on the Sea of Galilee, right? Andrew and Peter, they own a fishing business and make their living on the Sea of Galilee. John and James, um, the Sons of Thunder, as it says elsewhere, are also work with them in this fishing business. So these are people who have grown up on the sea They know about these storms. They live most of their life on the water making a living, and yet they themselves are freaking out, right? So this isn't just a, oh, it's just a storm, I got this, you know. They're actually legitimately scared that they're going to die. But where is Jesus in this? He's in the back of the boat. And the Greek is interesting, you know, we kind of round it out to make it easier in English to under, you know, like at least, you know, smoother. In the Greek, it's like he was in the stern, cushion, asleep. You know, there's this building dramaticness of like, okay, where's Jesus? He's not just not panicking with them. He's in the back of the boat. He's not just in the back of the boat. He's on a cushion. He's not just calmly on a cushion. He's actually asleep, just calmly sleeping. And that at least points to his humanity, right? Because he's been teaching all day. He's wiped. He's tired. But let's pause for a second and think about the disciples. Now, it'd be really easy if you've grown up in the church to think, come on, disciples, it's Jesus. Why are you yelling at him? Are you serious? Like, have more faith. And that's not going to be the application here. But if you've ever been in the middle of a natural disaster, it's actually pretty scary. Now, I've never been in the middle of a natural disaster uh, myself, but I'm thinking about creation and how creation can be scary sometimes. And that makes me think of a story involving ducks from three days ago. Where So Thursday is our off day for our staff. And, of course, the weather's been amazing recently. So, of course, Annie, Elisha, and I like to go out. And Elisha's at this cute age where he's recognizing more things. He has more words to call out. And so one of the big things right now is geese because they're loud and they fly above the, the houses. And so we're at the park. We're at Tillis Park, which is at 64 in McKnight. If you've ever gone, there's a great pond. And there's geese. So Elisha's like, geese, geese, geese. And so we're like, oh, we're going to go over there and see some geese, you know. So we walk over to the lake. And, you know, I'm, of course, crouched down. We're probably like 15 feet from the water. There's beautiful mallard ducks. I think they're mallard ducks, one with the green heads. And they start swimming closer to us. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. Look, they're like getting closer. We can even see them more. But then they like hop out of the water. And we're like, whoa, they're out of the water. This is amazing. But then they just start walking directly at us. And at first it was really cool. But then once they were, they were probably about five feet because I couldn't quite touch it with my hand, but they were like right there. And all of a sudden, all the social media videos start flashing through my head where animals freak out, you know, and then they like bite your ear or something. And so I started getting really scared that these ducks are only four or five feet from me. Granted, you know, they're only that big, and I'm, you know, three times their size and ten times their weight. But I was really scared. And so then that makes me think about these disciples 
when you're actually in the middle of a boat where the boat is actually about to, you know, go under, the waves are larger. You're literally helpless. You can't even get off the boat onto land. There's actually a real fear there that can come. So they're scared. They're fearful. I know I don't think I mentioned it much, but the, the point one, they're faint-hearted creatures, and to a certain extent, rightfully so. But the moral of the story is not don't fear, right? It'd be easy to say, well, then they shouldn't have feared. But Jesus is not saying, hey, you all should be on a, asleep on a cushion with me. That would actually be wrong. If you're both drowning and you're asleep on a cushion, that's not what the disciples should have been doing necessarily. But we need to keep going into the story to figure out some more of this application. So they are some faint-hearted creatures, and partfully, you know, rightfully so. But let's look at verse 39 and see what Jesus does when he awakes um, by their, their panicked rousing. So verse 39, it says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So we see here basically the action of a faithful creator. So rightfully so, we had some faint-hearted creatures, but Jesus is their faithful creator. Now I want to pause for a second and think a little bit about what Jesus doesn't do when he wakes up. Or maybe another question to put it this way is, what do you think the disciples were expecting when they did wake him up? Because we've already seen the end of the story. The disciples are amazed at what he ends up doing, but they still went to him in their panic, in their fear. And I was reading a, a children's book actually on this story, and the author pointed it out, you know, in the way she was writing it, which I thought was really neat. And when Jesus wakes up, notice that he doesn't immediately start helping them dump water out. You know, maybe the disciples were expecting him to join them in trying to save the, save the boat, you know, like dump, getting water out. He also does not immediately speak to them. Maybe the disciples were just wanting him to panic with them. Like, we're freaking out. You know, freak out with us. What's going on? Another thing that doesn't happen is that he doesn't pray to the Father, God the Father, to stop the storm, which we've seen Jesus pray in other stories in the gospel. And you might expect him as the Son to go to the Father and say, Lord, save us or stop this storm. But he doesn't even do that. What happens? We see Jesus simply speaks to creation, and it's immediately still. There was a great storm. He speaks, and he brings a great calm. And so also, when you think about the disciples a little bit and what they've already seen, you could tell they had some sort of head knowledge of Christ, right? Because in Mark 2, they would have seen him heal the man with a, uh, was a paralyzed, or the paralytic man. They've seen him heal someone with a withered hand. They've seen him uh, forgive sins of the paralyzed man. They've seen him um, teach on the parables of the kingdom, as we saw earlier in Mark 4. So you can tell they have a vague concept that Christ or Jesus is this great person. But they're astounded at what ends up happening, which is Jesus simply speaks to creation, and it's still. Now, this has two very, very big implications for what it means for who Christ is, right? And some of you might already be thinking this. That for one, only God, the creator, can control creation. And the disciples would have known that. They had been familiar with the Old Testament. And God's the only one in the Old Testament who controls creation. Of course, Genesis 1 and 2, where he speaks and creation comes into being. Job 38, God prescribes the boundaries of the waters. And he talks to Job about how he set up creation. Lots of other Psalms talk about this. But interestingly, in controlling creation... Uh, Jesus is also showing that he's their redeemer. 
right? Because he's controlling creation, but in controlling creation, he's also saving his people. And if you've been with us in the Bible reading plan, about two or three weeks ago, we finished Exodus, and we saw that. As you're reading through Exodus, God is controlling creation through the 10 plagues. He's controlling creation in the Red Sea. But in the midst of all of that, it's not just controlling creation for the sake of being God and being creator. He's also redeeming his people in the midst of that. He's both creator and redeemer. Now, to get to the crux of the story or the heart of the story, this is where Jesus brings in his question, right? And his question is going to get to the heart of the disciples. So let's go on to that. If you look in verses, uh, we're going to read verses 40 to 41. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus then speaks to them and brings this question. And it's actually, you know, we have the title of why are you so afraid? It's like one question, but it's kind of two questions, but it is kind of one question. Because the first one, why are you so afraid? Jesus somewhat answers it and gets to the heart of the disciples in that moment. Because he immediately says, have you still no faith? But then that gets to a deeper question of the heart, right? And that kind of of goes back to their their head knowledge of Christ, but not having a practical confidence necessarily in him. But I want to pause for a second and think, when we read this question, why are you so afraid? It's easy to kind of step back and be like, but shouldn't I be afraid if my boat is drowning or, you know, the boat's about to go down? And to one extent, yes. And this is where, in this case, the Greek is important again because... In verse 40, when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? And then verse 41, when the disciples have a great fear. That's actually two different words. And you would expect them to be the same. But the one that Jesus uses is used rarely in the gospel or in the New Testament. And another rendering of it, or maybe a more literal rendering, would be, why are you so cowardly? Or why have you lost heart? And another place where that word shows up is Revelation 21, right before... uh, the inauguration of the new heaven and the new earth, God says, those who are cowardly and are faithless will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's that same word that Jesus is using. So it's not so much a, you shouldn't be scared at all that your boat's drowning and, you know, the storm's crazy. But the fear that the disciples had was a fear of going to Christ, and they had already decided that their circumstance was hopeless. They had already lost heart. They were angry and bitter that Christ was not, or that Jesus was not awake with them in this panic. They were for sure that this was the end. And they kind of had this idea of like, are you serious? Do I really deserve this? What are you doing? You know, there's this anger and hopelessness in the fear that they've brought uh, to Jesus in this moment. So Jesus reveals this to them in his question, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why have you lost heart already? Haven't you seen everything I've done, all, you know, just in these past four chapters of Mark? So there's a many ways to take this. And again, the application, I think I've said it three times, but I want to be clear because it's so easy to walk away and feel this. The application is not, don't fear, you should be asleep on a cushion in the middle of a gigantic storm. Right? The apostles, the disciples, should actually be applauded for going to Christ in their panic. The problem was just that Jesus revealed the heart of why they went to him, right? And notice that when the disciples have this great fear, it brings about this question, who then is this? 
And it can feel weird in our cultural moment to say that it's good to fear. The Bible shows that when we say we fear God, there's this, it's actually this awe, this reverence, this overwhelming trembling that's appropriate for a given situation. And so thinking about the ducks earlier, not appropriate. But like if I were thinking, you know, when I see planet Earth and scuba divers are like next to a hundred foot whale shark, like that would be trembling in an appropriate way. Like you are so small compared to the greatness, the power that you've just seen that who Jesus has revealed himself to be. And so they get this glimpse. And another interesting thing at the very end here, this great fear that they have, all the commentators say this with the way it's written out, is that the fear that the disciples had during the storm, which was great, the way it's phrased here of how they had a great fear, they were more in awe and reverent of Christ. They had a greater fear after seeing what had happened. Getting a glimpse of who Christ is brought about this greater fear but again, it's one of reverence, awe, and trembling. It's not a fear of authoritarian or a fear of control or a fear of punishment. Right? We saw, if you were with us uh, last fall in 1 John, we saw God's God of love who casts out fear. And so these are two different types going on. But then the application then for us, of course, is actually basically the two questions that we see in this text. Right? So Jesus asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And of course, he's saying that to them. But as the church today, then that question is then posed to us. With what circumstance are we in? And how are we approaching that circumstance? So for some of us, even as, as Brian said again in his prayer, you know, it could be jobs. Maybe it's uncertainty. And at the bottom of that could be feeling insecure about paying next month's bills. That's a real fear. You want to keep the lights on. You want to provide for your family. Maybe it's marriages. You don't feel safe in your home. Or maybe the marriage has just been extremely hard in the past year, given 2020. And it's terrifying to think of a marriage falling apart and the implications of that. That's rightfully scary. For kids, if you're in school, and this is true of every school, so I feel like you have to go through this too. There's always some sort of terrifying bully figure at some point through life. And maybe you're scared going to school. There's one person in class that you avoid. And that can be rightfully so. But the question then is, why are we so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So for some of us, it could be we have an anger, bitterness, distance from God. And I would encourage you to go to him. But I think for many more of us, it's kind of the opposite. We do have faith. We are going to God in our circumstance. It is scary. It's rightfully terrifying. And we feel like God is sleeping on us. We feel like God's actually asleep on a cushion, and you've been crying out to him over and over and over again. And so as I close, I got this um, from Tim Keller, this um, beautiful illustration that he kind of builds this connection to the gospel here in this story. And when we think about it, for the disciples, they thought that in their greatest hour of need, Jesus was going to sleep on them. They're about to die moments from death. The boat is about to go under, and they thought Jesus was just going to sleep on them. But in reality, it's God that loves, or Jesus that loves till the very end. Because in his greatest hour of need, right before the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying and sweating droplets of blood, it's the disciples 
who continually go to sleep on him. And he comes back to them over and over again. Can you not stay awake? See, Christ was with us in the midst of our biggest circumstance that we've gone through. Whether we recognize it or not yet, the circumstance of the sin, the guilt, the shame that separates from our Father was our greatest storm. And Christ has already gone to the cross and calmed that storm for us. He's already given us that peace. And so we know that because he's been with us in the greatest storm of our life, that we thought we would perish eternally, but he saved us from that. We know that he is with us in the midst of our little storms, in our little circumstances, which rightfully, understandably so, feel big. We put them in perspective that our creator does care for us, that we can trust in him in the midst of our circumstances. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we are so grateful that we aren't left to ourselves to just work harder. We aren't left to ourselves just to have more faith, but to look back at what you've done, knowing that you've wrought our salvation for us and that you did calm the storm. And may we come to you with a fear that is reverent, with awe and trembling because of how powerful, how amazing, how loving you are and how we cannot comprehend it. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.